Welcome church to this weekend service And we are now in this season where we're exploring the book of Zechariah It is a powerful book, it's a wonderful book that we have And we've been benefiting from it from Pastor Isaac's overview of Zechariah To what we have even um, heard last week on Zechariah chapter 1 And now we're going on to Zechariah chapter 2 Wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad you're able to join us wherever you are, at your homes, um, in small groups everywhere. Welcome, welcome to our SIBKL online service. I know it's still early in the morning for some, but I just want to ask you this pressing question that's been on my mind. Have you ever been the apple of someone's eye ever before? Like you were someone's most precious or beloved? Something like you have been your teacher's most cherished student or perhaps your parents' favourite son or daughter or grandpa or grandma's favourite or maybe your romantic partner's beloved that on Valentine's Day or on other some auspicious occasion and after all the uh, uh, intimate or the passionate preliminaries, your partner, he or she may sidle up to your ear and coo into your ear lovingly, darling, you are the apple of my eye. Wow, what a beautiful situation that would have been. But seriously, when you think about it, whether you have been or have not been the apple of someone's eye, God Almighty, Father God Himself, considers you the apple of His eye. That's right. Father God calls you the apple of His eye. Once you enter into a relationship with God, because You are His very own, His people, His son, His daughter. He calls you the apple of His eye. God has no favourites. No matter how you have behaved, each time after you have been disciplined by God, when you come back to Him, He calls you His most beloved, His precious. For in Zechariah 2 verse 8, God says, For whoever touches you, touches the apple of His eye. Or, In the NLT, anyone who harms you harms my most precious possessions. Wow! That's what God considers you as. Such a powerful, powerful truth that we need to download and assimilate into our hearts and our mind. God was saying that while referring to Zion or His own people. Zion is symbolic of God's kingdom. Or the church. Now, how many of us out there are part of God's kingdom or His church? Right, wherever you are, you can raise your hand. I can see the hands out there, even in the internet. Yes, even down here, we have a small audience here. But yes, we are all part of God's kingdom, God's family. And now, let's encourage one another. There is an online chat. Tell one another, you are most precious and beloved of God. Yes, and tell yourself, I am most precious and beloved of God. Wow. That is what God wants us to realize this morning. God's emphasis on this theme didn't just come out of the blue. Earlier on in Zechariah chapter 1, it started off with a warning to repent, and then God goes on to remind us He's ever ready to forgive when we return to Him, and He's there to comfort and to assure us, and then if you're in trouble, He will rescue us. They were very assuring and comforting words to a directionless and confused people. Having, gone, having come back to a strange and new environment in a very uncertain time. And this is where we get on to Zechariah chapter 2. 
The Lord Almighty providing the direction and the purpose for His plans. What are these plans? These are purposeful plans for His precious people. Like in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, a, a prophet who prophesied just before um, uh, Zechariah came on or Haggai came on, he says this, he echoes the word of the Lord, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That is what the Lord has in store for the people, His people at the time, and for you and I, even in this day and age. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 2. Would you read Zechariah chapter 2 with me? If you've got a Bible with you, let's read it together. If not, you'll find the chapter on the screen. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and long it is. Then the angel was speaking to me, left, and another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, and the young man is Zechariah. Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it, and I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Verse 7, Come, O Zion, escape, you who live in the daughter of Babylon, for this is what the Lord Almighty says, after he has honoured me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. For whoever touches you, you out there, and me, I'm standing here. Whoever touches us, touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that the slaves will plunder them. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Hallelujah. Zechariah chapter 2 begins with the vision of an angel measuring the length and the width of Jerusalem. There was God himself determining the future plans for his spiritual dwelling place. In the Bible, Jerusalem is the only city throughout the Old and the New Testament that God would refer to as his dwelling place. As in Psalm 135, verse 21, it says, Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And in, again in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 15, regarding Jerusalem, the Lord, the God of the ancestors, sent word to them through the messengers again and again because He had pity on whom? On His people and on His dwelling place. You see, for the spiritual Jerusalem, where the inhabitants are His people, His beloved, there is always a special place in God's heart. 
not only in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament and from the advent of Jesus onwards, the Lord God or Christ continues to dwell in His spiritual temple beyond Jerusalem, in each of us who knows Him in our hearts. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? So when we look at God's plan for Jerusalem, it includes His people being the apple of His eye and their plans for both the short term and long term during Zechariah's time and the following intertestamental period, and then in the long term for the New Testament church, for you and I. We have to look at these two timelines that mirror each other, and then we can begin to understand God's purposes for His people, both in the past, present, as well as the time to come. So with that, let's look at how God speaks through Zechariah chapter 2 in three sections. The first is the failure of Jerusalem. Sorry, not a failure. The future of Jerusalem. The future of Jerusalem, which is referring to God's purposes and plan for you and I. And then secondly is the fleeing from Babylon, about us sticking to God's prohibition. And thirdly is fellowship with Lord Almighty in realizing God's presence among us, Emmanuel, God with us. Firstly, the future of Jerusalem. This was about God's purpose and direction for His people, a people that needed assurance that the Lord God is still with them, still present with them, more than any other time. Zechariah prophesied over them a vision of Jerusalem being measured. Jerusalem was exactly where the exilic returnees ended up. And essentially, they themselves are being assessed by God to see if they are spiritually up to it. Verse 2, it says, Measure Jerusalem. Find out how wide and long it is. Jerusalem and its inhabitants were assessed as to the spiritual state of readiness. These were challenging times, but it was also a time of testing and trials as to their faithfulness to God. Since the return of the exilic Jews to Jerusalem, there has been an 18-year lull where they did nothing much for God except to build nice homes for themselves and to further their own interests. Having seen the widespread devastation that involved the temple, the marketplace, and even where the former homes were, and having experienced a hostile reception from the locals, they were probably thinking they didn't have much to look forward to. They were stuck in a rut, they were discouraged, and they were reminiscing over their previous glory, the wonderful structures in the city, the temples, the glorious temple of Solomon that was there before, 50 years ago. They might have thought they heard God wrongly, and hence they ended up in a bad situation and in the wrong place. And this was their new norm. So they lost focus and they move on to other things. But God, God isn't done with them yet. For a significant number of us who are logging in today, we are not that far away from that situation. Many keep looking back to the good times that we had before the COVID struck, but we'll no longer be church or businesses or socialising as usual, at least not for a very, very long time. Gone are the days of huge mega church services, gatherings in large numbers, big ministry meetings, Long, 
large conferences, boisterous church meetings that will last long into the night, or even long personal chats over Te Tarek or coffee. Instead, today, what we have replacing them are conveniences of online shopping, digital social media, proliferation of online courses, seminars, webinars, Zoominas, what have you. They are all here to stay. But together, also coupled with this, is the apparent necessity to work longer hours due to the economic downturn. And all this seems to fill up nicely the vacuum that used to be taken up for God. Yeah, these are challenging times indeed. Time of trial and testing for our faithfulness unto God. And God isn't done with us yet. Because verse 4 goes to say, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals inside it. We, like the Jews in Jerusalem, are being assessed for both physical and spiritual expansion to be stretched in our minds and our hearts for the eventual coming and the advent of the Messiah. That will be the first time in Zechariah's time and the return of the King, the second advent for us. And we have to go beyond just receiving a King. We got to be subsequently aware that we are meant to be a great influence beyond just receiving the king that no walls can contain. Think about it. What if, what if because you are the apple in God's eye, He has great plans of expansion for you to stretch you beyond what you think you're able to endure and to bring you to heights, greater heights than you have ever been before. Yes, there may be challenges like the distractions I mentioned just now, but perhaps even in addition to that, a job offer that has gone by, a lucrative deal that didn't come through, or an offence just recently felt by you, or even a promotion that bypassed you. Yes, these things may come, but they only just serve to toughen you and to prepare you for the times that are ahead, for greater things that are ahead. But when you continue to trust in God, He accomplishes all this in you. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. The Scripture encourages us from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But then in Zechariah 2, it goes on to verse 5, where the Lord declares, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, and I will be its glory within. Wow! The Lord Himself does not leave us alone. He comes into the picture. The Lord Himself would ensure that He would accomplish all that the fire of the Holy Spirit work through you. His people manifested outwardly and the glory of God restored in you through the sanctifying work through His people inwardly. You could see from hindsight that this prophecy was fulfilled in Zechariah's time. And then it went on to Pentecost and beyond Pentecost, where walls cannot contain. It was meant to go on way beyond what it was before. Haggai, in chapter 2, verse 9, also prophesied at the same time that the future glory of this temple will be greater than the past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies, referring to the glory of the Lord, Jesus, in dwelling within His disciples, being far greater than any physical glory that could be seen in the temple of Solomon. Just two Thursdays ago, I had the privilege of witnessing the consecration of a major business of a church member to the glory of our Lord Jesus. 
There was honour given to God. There was a prayer of thanksgiving and celebration of God's goodness and guidance over the enterprise in the presence of many other business owners. And many of them are pre-believers. It has grown from a small timber company to property development, energy provision, construction, retail, and so on. Over the years, two generations of the owner have always kept the Lord Jesus foremost in their heart. This was evangelism that's being done through the outworking of the company. There was Alpha, the workplace, within the company branches. And then there was even the migrant, the hired migrant workers could hear the gospel in their own language in the factories. And there were prayer altars that ran regularly. And many, many souls were saved. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! All this was made possible due to the mighty hand of the Lord upon this enterprise. And all glory returns to the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You see, God's plans, purposes, and glory are not confined only to His temple or in churches. It is wherever you carry it to because you are His temple. You don't have to be a big business owner to see His glory. In Genesis 28, Jacob saw God's glory and received a blessing even. And he received it when he was running away from Esau and he had nothing to his name. So believe with all your heart that you are beloved of the Lord, the most precious of the Lord, the apple in God's eye. And when you go back to work tomorrow, whether you go back to your workplace or you go back to college or when you minister at where your household is, intentionally carry the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ with you. Say a prayer of blessing over the place. We all know the ironic blessing very well. Lord, bless and keep this place, Lord. May your face shine upon it and be gracious. Let your grace be abounding in this place, Father. And let turn your countenance towards everyone that's there so that they experience and they know your shalom. Or you can declare a portion of the Scripture over the place. Psalm 121 is a good place to start. That say that the Lord, declare that the Lord of, who watches over it, you is the same God who watches over Israel, who neither slumber nor sleep. He will watch over your going in and your going out. He will watch over you by day so that the sun may not harm you by night, nor will the moon harm you. Declare Scripture over the place. And also, be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. What the Spirit tells you to do, that when you are there, the Spirit may tell you, just go there, that one person, he may have a prayer need. Display Christ's love by praying for that person. That is a wonderful thing when you do that. Amen. But even as you do that, you have to be aware there are also certain things that God would frown on to by looking at the second part of what Zechariah 2 says, fleeing from Babylon. It's about God's prohibition. These four verses of God's people reminds me very much of a similar situation when the Israelites, the Jews, were running away from Egypt in Exodus. The similarity in both instances were the entrapment by or the deep immersion of the people into the cultures and the ways of the captors after being there for a long time. So much so, that when they were out of it, they still longed to go back to where they were before. So for the people during Zechariah's time, besides bemoaning the loss of the former glory in Jerusalem, many of the exilic returnees still longed in their hearts to go back to Babylonia, where was once their comfort zone, where perhaps properties, assets, 
and friends might still remain. Maybe also there was the place where they tried to make a name for themselves. That's why the Lord says He has to scatter them to the four winds of heaven, as He also did in Genesis 11 verse 9, where humankind attempted the same at the Tower of Babel. It was almost a desperate cry from them for a longing to go back to business as usual. But it should not be business as usual. The urgency with which the Lord warns to His people in verses 6 and 7 with the words, Come, come, flee from the land of the north, which is referring to Babylon. Although in the east, they come and attack from the north. So flee from them. Come, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. Seem to suggest it was and still is a pressing danger even to us in our present times. The Lord was prohibiting them and even us to return to the ways of the world because the term Babylon, besides being a geographical location of captivity, is also symbolic of the world and its ways, alluring ways that are date set against God's ways. And for God to warn His people, even though 18 years have gone by, it must be something very serious and we ought to sit up and listen. The way of the world, what is it? Basically, at the end of the day, is to plunder God's people, as in verse 8. Plunder means to take, and usually forcefully, and to exploit, to use, to control, to manipulate, and to enslave. Think about it. Much of what happens around us seems to suggest that. In Zechariah's time, each of these terms were literally applied to the Jews that were taken into exile by the captors. But with time, the exilic Jews developed an affinity for all things Babylonian or worldly. Perhaps it's an ancient expression of the Stockholm Syndrome. But in our contemporary society, we are being plundered in a subtle or silent manner without us realising it. Especially now with the widespread prevalence of digital and social media in every home, every generation. It all boils down to the different ways that the world appeals to us, appeals to our lust of the flesh, lust of the eye and the pride of life, which was clearly presented as a temptation to Jesus in the desert in Luke 4. Through each temptation, what did Jesus do? Jesus pointed back to God, to Father God, and also to the Scriptures. After God Himself is the Word incarnate, the Word that made flesh and dwelt amongst us. I can't emphasize enough on the need to know the Bible as well as to position ourselves such that God will use the Scripture as a holy defense in our lives. Digest chunks of Scriptures daily, at least two to three chapters of the Word, and don't skip your daily devotion. Even if you skip lunch, breakfast, and dinner, don't skip your devotion to God. And when you do that, when you have developed an intimate relationship with God, He will come to your rescue. He will come to your rescue. As He said in Zechariah, Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them, those that plunder my people, the Lord says, so that their slaves will in turn plunder them. Here again, the Lord reminds us that we, we are the apple of his eye and he has our welfare close to his heart. He turned the tables on them those that plunder us. So indeed, what Satan intends for evil, God turns it around for good. Amen? 
Hallelujah. So far, I've shared on the future of Jerusalem, which is referring to God's purposes and plans, fleeing away from Babylon and about us adhering to God's prohibition. And now we come to fellowship with Lord Almighty in realizing God's presence, abiding presence with us. After having outlined His plans and given a warning, God now gives an assurance to His people that He will never fail nor forsake them. He reminded them to be glad, to be positive, that I will live among you and I'm coming in verses 10 and 11. I've briefly mentioned that Zechariah's prophecies have both a short-term and a long-term fulfillment. The short-term is in the first advent of the Messiah through Jesus' birth in the next 500 years following Zechariah. His coming and He being with His people were independently also prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 about Jesus' birth and His name, the name given to Him, Emmanuel, God with us. These and many other prophecies were messages sent by God to remind His people and to ensure His people hears God's heart. Now all this have already gone past and the prophecies were fulfilled. They have become history. But then we also have the long-term fulfillment, which is in the process of being fulfilled where you and I are involved in it. It's mentioned in verses 11 and 12. And then there will be the return of the King, the second advent of the, G of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is yet to come. But as the events, the world events show, they are rapidly accelerating to the culmination of um, the, 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 the return of the Lord Jesus, and it's going to happen before long. In a period leading it, known as the last days, you'll find that many will turn away. And we are in the last days now. Many more, yet many more, will still turn back to the Lord. For verse 11 says, Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. And then Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will return to the city of peace, Jerusalem. This part of the prophecy involves us and perhaps maybe the next generation. We are all part of it and it's being played out in our lifetime. And here we are, being the apple of God's eye, having a special plan in His purpose for us. Are you and I prepared for it? Until that day comes, God is imminent within us through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. He is the glory within His temple, preparing, revealing, encouraging, and sanctifying us for the culmination in the eventual fulfillment of His sovereign plans as revealed partly in Zechariah's prophecy on the measuring of Jerusalem. Now, how many of us out there want to be included in God's plans? Yes, I can even see the hands out there in the internet. Yes, you want to be included in God's plan. But in, being included in God's plan is not a matter of que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You have to be yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit abiding in you. It is a partnership, an intimate relationship in fellowship with Lord God Almighty as He invites you to participate in the out, unfolding of His plan. I was just having this conversation with some pastors and I came across this wonderful analogy for this practical relationship with God. And it's about cars, any car. You know, we all either drive or ride in cars, right? And the fuel, whether in the form of petrol or diesel or battery power, is that one main factor 
that drives the car, yeah? So in your partnership with the, the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit can be likened to the fuel that can drive you to dynamic speeds and even to long distances, like to fly high and to last long. And you, you are the car itself. But in order to get going, you must be willing to press the start button or to turn the ignition and then to step on the accelerator. Otherwise, you may just have fellowship with God in the Holy Spirit within you too, but nothing else much happens. You will just sit there all day. And it's just not good, you're just not going to move along unless you have this intention to get going and yielding to the Holy Spirit power. Now, how, you ask, how can you do that? Three simple things. To fill yourself up, to turn on the ignition, and to step on the accelerator. What do I mean by that? Well, fill yourself up. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say in the next two verses, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, it says to have a thankful attitude in everything you do and be joyful. Worship the Lord. Even when you work, work is worship. And when you have that attitude, have that posture, you are allowing yourself, you're yielding, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you up. Wow, and then that's not all. Even though you're filled up, you need to press the start button, turn on the ignition, yield to Him, throw out what's false in your life and live the clean life. Matthew 3 verses 11 and 12 says in the message version, He, God, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out and is going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your life. He will place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false, He will put out with the trash to be burned. Wow, strong words indeed. But that's not all. Even when you turn on the engine, it's idling, you have to step on the accelerator. What does it mean by that? Stop relying on your own strength. Stop relying on your own strength. Instead, let God's power be made perfect in your witness. Let God's power be made perfect in your weakness. Listen to what the apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. I know there are some among you who are so full of themselves that they will never listen to anyone, let alone me. This speaks of the people who are just talking about themselves and boasting about themselves. They don't think they will ever show up in person, but I'll be there sooner than you think. God will send someone into your life to show you your weakness and God willing, and then they will see if they are full of anything but hot air. God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. Don't be a NATO Christian. No action, talk only, NATO, okay? Don't be a NATO Christian. Rely not on your own strength, but on God's power. God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. Hallelujah. So in closing, you could see that far from being abstract, and complicated, Zechariah's vision and prophecies in chapter 2 are down to earth and practical. He's a very practical man. God Almighty assures us in these uncertain times, these challenging times, that He has a definite purpose, that there's a definite plan for you and I that's inevitable. And He prohibits us from going back to our worldly ways. And then God also encourages us with His abiding presence. 
The chapter ends with these words, Be still, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. I sense God is saying to us, know yourself, check your posture, check your attitude, and stop trying to make more processes, trying to make more things work. Stop striving and stop trying to create these processes. Don't just do the religious thing. But be still and know that He is God. Know that God did not just create you and all the things that are around us and then leave you to your own devices like an absent father does. Although God is mostly unseen, God has been constantly working behind the scenes as He has roused Himself from His resting place. God has been working to bring His eternal redemptive plans for you and I, the apple of His eye, to bear fully upon His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. It is only through Jesus that we can have an outworking of our purpose and destiny. And only through Him can we have a restored fellowship with God. Come, come to Him. If you have not done so before, just click on our online prayer tab and you'll find that there'll be someone there who will pray with you. That's so that you can have a relationship of the Lord Jesus, with the Lord Jesus. And if you already have a relationship with Jesus, but you want to be more intentional, you want to be more real in this relationship, you can even right now, wherever you are, pray with someone who's sitting next to you. Pray with your family. But if you are alone and you want someone to pray with, click also on the prayer tab. And then you'll find there'll be a church leader or a pastor who will be willing to pray with you too. God is here for you and we are here for you too. Remember, without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. As we reflect upon these words, let us sing again the closing song that we have sung before, Jesus over everything. Indeed, as I say, Jesus is the culmination of all of God's plans and this is what the Lord has for you and I. Jesus over everything. Yes, Lord Jesus, there is no one else like you. All the prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Haggai, Zechariah, every word that's been uttered in prophecy points towards you. For Lord Jesus, you are the key to every plan and purpose in our lives, Lord. That in you all things hold together. You're the forerunner of the resurrected. And without you, nothing that was made was made at all, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't leave us alone, that you will be the returning King. That even in this age and era as we live in, Lord Jesus, everything matters because they fit into your sovereign plan, Lord. And because we are the apple of your eye, Lord, you hold us dearly as part of your sovereign plan. So Lord Jesus, as we depart from your holy sanctuary, wherever we are, Lord, I just want to pray this blessing that every one of my brother and sister who is out there may have that deep personal relationship and experience of being the apple of your eye, Lord Jesus. That they may know 
that they feature greatly in your plans and purposes. That as they go forth, they carry your glory, Lord. That wherever they go, in the workplace, in the colleges, in the homes, Lord, they bring the glory of the Lord Jesus. That lives may be turned around. That lives will be transformed. That they may raise the Son of Man up high. That He will draw all to Himself. We thank You, Lord Jesus. We thank You for this wonderful time that we sit at Your feet like Mary did and to marvel at Your grace and the truth that's within You. So Lord Jesus, I pray a blessing over each of my brother and sister that the love of the Lord, God the Father, may go with them wherever they are. That Your grace, Lord Jesus, may surround them and be in Your words and in actions. And may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be one and all until we meet again. And everybody in Jesus' name says, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. It is really wonderful to have you. To join us again next week. Goodbye and God bless.